Welcome to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. I'm your host, Meg Ricci, and this podcast series is about demystifying hormonal issues and struggles facing so many women today. And the title of today's episode, Leaning into the Light of the Moon, Discerning Between Our Physical and Emotional Hunger. And today's guest will be Anita Johnston. She's a wonderful clinical psychologist and a certified eating disorder specialist that has worked in this area with women for over 35 years. She's also the clinical director of Ipono Hawaii Eating Disorder Programs. She has also helped to establish eating disorder programs around the United States and Australia. And she's a co-creator of the Light of the Moon Cafe, a series of online interactive courses and women's support circles and soul hunger workshops. So what I'd like to share with you right now is how I kind of, I met uh, Anita Johnston at an event indirectly. Um, And I'll share what had happened at this wonderful event that I attended. I had, back in 2005, had attended a red tent event at ABC Carpet in New York City. And ABC has this philosophy about supporting community events. And that day, or for about a couple of weeks, they were holding this red tent event. And it was a movement at the time for women. This tent symbolized a sacred space, a haven for women, that they could share their stories, they could share food, they could celebrate together, they could be vulnerable, and and then they could feel honored and heard. And it was also about women taking the time to nurture themselves as individuals, as well as feeling nurtured by a community of women. At this event, I came upon a book sitting on a table, and I was drawn to this book. It gently called to me from across the room, and I have recommended this book to almost every client since that time that I've worked with. And the title of it is Eating in the Light of the Moon. It was written by Anita Johnston about 20 years ago. It is a best-selling book. I think it's probably one of the most profound books written about disordered eating. And this book is how women can transform their relationships with food through myths and metaphors and storytelling. And this book really hits home for me because my journey started with anorexia and bulimia back in my teens and 20s. And I feel so honored to have had the support that I needed through the right clinical therapist and nutritionist and physicians that actually has really inspired me to go on to do the work that I do today or have been doing for the past 25 years. So in today's episode, um, Anita and I will be discussing why so many girls and women struggle with food and eating and the way that they look at their bodies. And we'll also discuss what is this struggle around food and body image and why this struggle is so pervasive for females today of all ages. So Anita, I want to welcome you onto the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. Thank you so much, Meg. It's, it's really a pleasure to to connect with another kindred spirit. So I'm really happy to be here. This is great. You know, you and I, we spoke, uh, we've spoken over the phone over the years and we've corresponded. And actually I had you on Food for Thought a few years back when I was in New York, when I had that radio show. And really excited about today's conversation. So can we 
you know, I would love to really start with that question of, you know, why are so many women today struggling with food and eating and the ways they perceive their body and they look at their bodies? <laughs> Just a little question. Just right? a little question. <laughs> Go right into it. Well, that's the question. You know, I've been asking that for a long, long time. And and summoning up all the curiosity I could muster, as well as listening to all the women that I've seen over the years to, to see if I could kind of pull together, what is this, right? What is, when you really zoom back, you go and, and wonder, like, I, I wonder why this is. And, and I find myself looking through the lens of Jungian psychology, Mm-hmm. which is um, uh, uh, using archetypal forces, which archetypal forces are, are um, energies that were coined by Carl Jung to talk about aspects of our psyche that are universal. So an archetype is a concept that you could cross uh, all culture and all time and find that concept. For, so, for example, you take the archetype of the mother, and if you could go to any culture on the planet, you'd find that concept. And you could you could um, go into the future, you'd find that concept. If you could go into the past, you would find that concept. So it's an it's an archetype, and and according to Jung, archetypes were to the psyche what genes are to the body. And that we're born with them. And just like with epigenetics, we know now for um, genes need to get expressed before you can experience them. And archetypes need to be quickened. So if you look through this archetypal lens at our culture, I like to look at using the archetypes of the masculine and feminine principle, which sounds like I'm talking about genders, but I'm not. That's where it gets a little confusing. Um, You could use the words yin and yang. But Mm -hmm. if you look through that lens, you will see our modern Western culture is really quite cockeyed, right? It's really tilted so that those um, aspects of the feminine, of the masculine principle, the logical, linear, goal, achievement-oriented qualities in our psyche, um, are overvalued, and the feminine uh, uh, aspects of our psyche, whether you're male or female or uh, gender fluid, um, which are emotions, intuitions, instincts, they're undervalued. So so we're now in this soup where, where there's this imbalance. Then we internalize that imbalance. And if you happen to be born into the body of a female, you embody that imbalance. And so then a war begins with our bodies. So that's sort of how I look at it to see, okay, what, what in the world is going on? Because if you look at, well, what's considered the ideal body type uh, for a woman, it is not curvaceous and voluptuous and round, right? No, yes. we want thigh gaps and buns of steel and whatever your generation happened to emphasize, right? Mm-hmm. Which is more along the lines of the masculine. The masculine, yeah. 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 So that's my answer to it. I, You know, it changes all the time, but as of today... That's sort of how I'm looking at it. So I guess the next question would be, why do you feel women are having such difficulty leaning into the feminine energetics of who they are? Yeah, it's kind of like trying to explain water to a fish, right? We grew up 
in a culture that 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 said um, these the feminine is not valued. In fact, you know. So if you you look at instincts. We're taught to disregard our instincts, to to not eat when we're hungry and to eat when we're not hungry and to keep on going when we're tired. Um, you know, sometimes not even to go to the bathroom because we're busy, 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 right? So that mm-hmm. kind of goal-oriented focus. So we're taught to disregard our instinctual selves. And then, and then our emotions. We're taught. We're taught that to be emotional is to be weak, right? We're not taught about the power of the emotional guidance system, um, at all. And and then if you look at intuitions, my goodness, that's treated like crazy stuff. If you if you don't have the facts, like you can't just say, I don't know how I know this. I just know it, right? So there's yes. so many aspects of the feminine principle. That, that are devalued and dismissed and ridiculed, that it's no wonder that we're going, okay, we don't want anything to do with that. And, and besides, we want to be successful, and success in our culture is, is determined by mm, how many letters you have after your name or how, many, how much money you have in the bank, not in terms of the richness and depth of your relationships. You know, I was, um, earlier today, I had picked up your book and I looked at something that I had highlighted actually a few years ago, and I I think it might be interesting to share at this point. Hunger can really be about much more than food. Hunger can be about the need for comfort and and nurturance, the need for self-expression, the need for spiritual fulfillment. Any of these needs, when unfulfilled, can leave us feeling a certain emptiness inside. But when we interpret all hunger as a hunger for food, those other needs get buried deeper and deeper and never get taken care of. So, you know, how would, so what I see a lot in my practice is women with restricted, restricted eating. And I don't even think they realize that they're doing this. And, you know, I look at so many food journals and because a food journal actually tells me a story about a woman's life. I look at the time when she eats, what she's eating. Is she eating snacky food? Is she having a meal where the fat is being restricted and the carbs are being restricted? And what I try to do is try to teach women how to be better, better mothers to themselves and to, to cook and to start preparing meals that are more balanced. But I, I would like to talk about this restrictive eating because I'm seeing it in teenagers and women in their 20s and 30s, and I'm seeing it women in their, as they're going through menopause. And maybe you could uh, touch more on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think we're encouraged to deny all of our hungers, to as though appetite is a bad thing and mm-hmm. in our and again uh looking through this cultural lens we live in a culture that is very very literal so we assume when we're talking hunger we're talking about food and so mm-hmm. what happens are all so we're not just denying these other hungers we're also denying ourselves food so right. it all gets scrambled up together well, I think this is interesting, too, because you brought this up. Uh, um, when, when somebody is having a fat attack, 
this is, you know, people say, I don't know what it is. I'm just feeling heavy. I, I feel uncomfortable. That this is a signal um, that something else is going on that is upsetting you. And I think that's really important. And I would love for you to bring that, shed some light on that. Yeah, because again, we're talking metaphoric language in a culture that is fat phobic, by the way. So, so this is where so much distortion comes in because, um, the fear of fat is, is, um, validated by this culture. And, and to give you a little bit, uh, idea about the neuroscience behind this, which I find fascinating. If, um, you realize that when we're younger, all of us, our brains are, and our brains are still developing, um, our, our frontal lobes, that's the, the part of our brain that can do abstract uh, thinking and cause and effect and all that, it doesn't even come on board uh, fully and completely until we're in our mid-20s, right? Who knows mm-hmm. this? <laughs> car rental companies, right? They're not going to rent a car <laughs> to you. No frontal lobes. Um, but, but when we're much younger, because our brains are not fully developed, the way our thought processes work are, um, it goes something like this, uh, bad things happen, I feel bad, I must be bad. That's the logic of a young child. So right. mommy and daddy got a divorce, I feel bad, it must be my fault. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens as we get older and more of our brain comes online and we can assess things differently, uh, we might go, oh my gosh, there's a thousand and one reasons why mom and dad got a divorce and none of them had anything to do with me, right? You go back and you revisit that old story. Now, imagine that you grew up in a fat phobic culture or family for that matter. And so what happens when you're a child, the way your mind will work will be this. Bad things happen. I feel bad fat. I am bad fat. So what happens is, so you start feeling bad and you think fat is bad and you think fat and bad, feeling bad are the same thing and everything gets all tangled up. So I guess I, this sounds, this is interesting. What is it? What is this fear around fat? Can we break that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild. And I what's so ironic is that we live in a country right now where 70% of the population is overweight. And it's finding that, that healthy balance. But what is this fat thing? Well, worse than that, anybody that is not thin is vilified. So it really, really has gotten out of hand. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. so everyone is terrified um, of, of fat. And again, um, I think it's complex. I think yes. this idea of ranking people in the first mm-hmm. place um, and ranking them according to their physical appearance, I think it has its roots in all kinds of oppressive traditions. So I think this is part of it. I think it is a part of um, um, an oppressive system to keep Mm -hmm. some people down and, and elevate those that meet the criteria to look a particular way. So I think that's where its power lies. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and and because nobody's called it out, right? All these years, nobody said, "Wait, what? What? You you think because that person is this size and this person is that size that somehow that person's not so valuable?" And this, per- I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like yes. we've not really questioned it. So the insanity around it has just continued. And, we, and like I say, we're talking like fish in water. We're, we get caught up in it. Yes, we do. And then it gets played out if, if on top of that, now you've got that cultural thing, if mm-hmm. on top of that, you, you happen to be an emotionally sensitive, highly intuitive individual, which are um, fabulous aspects of the feminine principle, but some people are born very sensitive in that way, it, again, into a culture that says you shouldn't be, then what happens is... Um, uh, um, there's this attempt to try to control your emotional sensitivity. And by the way, it can't be controlled. Um, the way you respond to it can be altered, but not not those qualities in and of themselves. And because they're so closely related, then what happens is someone will turn to their body and they'll be, let's say, mm, let's say they had a fight with their husband and um, they're feeling bad about it. And they have this old story that bad things happen. I am bad and fat and fat and bad is the same thing. It's all. And then we live in a culture that's all no fat, low fat, non-fat, fat, fat. And so have a fight with husband. Mm, you happen to walk by a, a, a picture window in a store and you, oh, my God, I'm so fat. And that's why he's that's why he's so mad at me or that's why we can't get along. If I were thinner, we wouldn't be fighting like this and blah, 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 blah. That's how it happens. And it happens in a split second in our minds when we've been conditioned to think bad and fat are the same thing. Well, you know, since I don't know, maybe there's a different type of awareness since living in Charleston. Um, that I had when I was living in New York City, but it's almost feeling like an epidemic where and I I just don't think it's in Charleston, but I I see a lot of it, and and I you know I treat a lot of teenagers and and kids in college, and there's just this incredible emphasis on weight, and that things that I get concerned about with the kids that I work with and young women is they may want to lose a little weight, but then they get carried away, and it's kind of like how do I bring them back? to a place of, of and, and that's what I work with, you know, bringing back to that place of, of a healthy weight and understanding that, you know, women will say to me, I'm fat. And I'm like, well, what do you really mean by that? You know, do you know the difference between lean mass and actually how much body fat you're, you're carrying? Do you know that it's important to ca- have a certain amount of body fat that allows you to have healthy menstrual cycle? And um, I don't know, when I ha- it's interesting because I've had these type of conversations with clients and it really has, it's really, I think it's grounded them. And, but I feel that part of the picture, and you know this, and, and, and is, a lo- is helping people to sit with what they feel. So when there's that discomfort around food, what's under that? What's really going on? What happened that day? And I remember, you know, uh, in in the first episode I had shared, but actually when I first started therapy, I think it was in the first couple of months when I was working with this eating disorder um, therapist, and she said to me, the next time you feel that you want to binge and purge, 
I want you to sit with what you feel. And I looked at her and I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what that means. And she smiled and she looked at me and she said, but that's what you and I get to explore together. And that was a big turning point for me. So being able to really honor what I was feeling and, 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 and that was enough to, to validate that these are my feelings. And because they are my feelings, this is, you know, they're, they're valid. Here, I, I think I'd written this down. A woman stops listening to her inner voice for guidance and starts following the rules of others, shoulds and shouldn'ts. And this was something you brought up in your book, yeah, I think I think what you're talking about and the experience you had with your therapist is sort of like mm-hmm. pulling the curtain back, mm-hmm. and and because that moves you into a different part of your psyche and actually a different part of your brain that can perceive deeper meaning to things, and and this is what a lot of people don't understand is whatever their struggle happens to be with food and eating, there's there's essentially there's a communication going on. Um, with an, from a different part of your psyche, a deeper part of your psyche that's trying to talk to you and trying to tell you that it, there are other hungers you have that are not being fed and you're trying to do it through food or maybe those hungers are overwhelming so you try to do it by restricting food. And then when, when you don't pay attention to those hungers, you're left with this feeling like, oh my gosh, I, I'm too much or I want too much um, and, and that's not good. I need to restrict that. So then you start restricting food and then, you know, then it becomes like a vicious cycle. So this idea of um, um, who we are, how we feel, what we want is too much um, then gets planted, you know, in our minds. And, and so we start behaving in ways that we try to restrict all over the place. So then it's not just food that we restrict. We restrict new experiences. We restrict emotional expression. We restrict intimacy or sexuality or, or, or you know, we start yes. um, putting ourselves on restriction if we make a mistake. So now you're moving into the world of metaphor where you're really looking at, okay, what feels like too much to me that I'm trying to restrict? Is it really my body or is it this um, um, love-hate relationship I have with my mother, or is it that I'm on a career path that doesn't really serve me, or what? what is it? And to get very curious about it. So what I'm hearing is and maybe that what would help women, and I've said this, is hitting the pause button and asking, what is it that I need? Yes. However, you have to ask it with curiosity and not judgment. Yes. Right? Well, the, yes, not, like, what, not what, the what judgment. I need already. Exactly. You know, it's like, I, should, I, I have everything I want. I have everything. How, how can I possibly, you know, need anything else? Or what's wrong with, you know, that? It's, it's just like, you know, if you're talking to a child, if you ask a question with judgment, why'd you do that? You're not going to get an honest answer. You're going to get their best defense. I look at judgment as being the masculine. I look at curiosity and possibility as being the feminine. Well, it can be, can be, but not necessarily. What you're talking about is when there is an internal imbalance between the two where the masculine, um, it's more like the patriarchy, really. And the patriarchy mm-hmm. isn't really about men. It's a system of yes. domination. And so um, the judgment comes in when one aspect is judging the other because they're trying to dominate. 
rather than working together. So what suggestions can you make to women that are, that are struggling with this, this hunger or trying to explore what this hunger may possibly be? Well, the suggestion that I make, and nobody wants to hear this, by the way, and nobody wants... I do. I do. Well, <laughs> it's, it's keeping a journal. Yes. And, and the kind of journal, though, is, is, again, it requires everything you can do to muster to put on your detective or scientist or journalist hat, where you're just looking for clues between what's going on with you and food and what's going on in the rest of your life. So, so I recommend people, you know, write down what they were every time they eat, just for a week or two, just, as, mm-hmm. just to be curious, um, what you were doing, thinking, and feeling just before you ate, but you you journal it after you eat. And then you can start to see, you can start to look at your patterns. You can see, oh my gosh, um, I, I go all day and I don't eat a thing. And then at four o'clock, all hell breaks loose. Okay. Huh. Well, first of all, we know two things. One, if you've been restricting food all day long, you're setting yourself physiologically up for a binge. That's one right. thing you can look at. Another mm-hmm. thing you can look at is, oh, what's going on at four o'clock? You know, where are you? What, you know, what was going on just before, you know, so you can start to see, oh, yeah. Checking in. Yeah, I got home. Nobody's there. I'm all by myself. The lonely, you know, you start to see what feelings came up. I'm feeling lonely or overwhelmed or, so that is a, a, a process. Again, people with disordered eating don't want to do this for multiple reasons. One is many of them have been on diets, which required that they write down their food. And so that was an opportunity for all the judgment to come up. But mm-hmm. the other thing is that the, the whatever someone's doing with food, it's serving a function. And that function is to keep these uncomfortable feelings or difficult thoughts out uh, or, or scary memories out of awareness. So, of course, if you're going to sit down and bring them into awareness, um, 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 you're going to feel a lot of resistance because it's the exact opposite of what the disordered eating is designed to do. Wow. <laughs> So expect the resistance, expect the dog ate it, or you're going to forget, or you don't, I mean, that is going to come up. Well, I I think that, you know, in in all our lives, it's not just food, where there is discomfort and dis-ease, it usually means it's something that we have to explore and lean into. Yeah. And so what happens with, with someone struggling with disordered eating, mm-hmm. when, when they're not listening to the whispers, mm-hmm. it starts to become screams or shouts. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's and we actually, have, that's yeah, great. Yes. We have to cover our ears and go, na, 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 right? Or, and we, that's what we do with food because we don't want to hear it. And then it starts getting really scary because now it sounds really urgent. And that's why I think when you mentioned pushing the pause button, that's exactly right. Because that is, is, the more you can push the pause button and maybe let a little of that out at a time. Yeah, I I just find that so many women, and men for that matter, but women, we don't take, we don't give ourselves permission to hit that pause button. And in the previous episode, I had, is it ever really good enough? We talked about this. Do we take the time to sit and say, what is going on? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Let me sit with this. Let me breathe into it. And, and, And I know for me, at least, you know, from my experience of recovery, learning how to sit with it and the discomfort 
really, that was part of the healing. Yeah, because the answers are inside. Again, we've been taught that, that there's somebody else that's an authority. And when I work with people... Um, yes, and talk about your work with people, I, I, I think... I'm a consultant, essentially. So I work mm-hmm. with people remotely, individually. Then I have my Light of the Moon Cafe, which is my online uh, women's circle. It's sort of like a book club, a workbook mm-hmm. combination. And I respond to, we have a forum, and I respond to all the comments and questions mm-hmm. on the forum. But I don't have their answers. I, I, I can help them uh, turn within because the answers are inside. And and so, but but they're coded, right? So yes. so you have to learn how to be still first of all to listen, and then you have to learn how to interpret um, what's being said to you through your own behaviors. And even what I love is even the specific foods you struggle with; they have answers for you. They're unique to you. Um, those foods are, if you're restricting or binging and binging and purging, whatever you're doing, those foods are speaking to you, but they're speaking in the language of metaphor that has specific meaning to you. And once you learn that language, you can crack the code and find out what this is all about. So I wanted to ask you, this has been interesting. I've seen with some women, I have women that they, they want to eat healthy. They'd actually like to lose some weight, but they just don't know. It's like they can't stop. There is something within them that they, how do I say this? Um, it's, they're just not motivated to create change. Or again, is it being unable to sit with the discomfort Am I making sense? Can you elaborate on that? Because that's like the there's something there that that I would love for you to talk about that because I see that that's a big struggle for women too. Well, I have to say, focusing on weight loss is going to take you away from where you want to get. Okay, it's a red herring. So again, this idea that here's where the problem is. The problem is my body. The problem is the food. And it's like, no, 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 no. The problem is that you've got feelings that are coming up in you that you're needing to express. Mm-hmm. You've got other things that you're hungry for that you're needing to say yes to. So so as long as you're um, chasing after, you know, um, the food in the body, then you're not going to get to those real issues. Now, not that you don't pay attention to that, but really what we're, the ultimate goal is to embrace the wisdom of your body. Mm-hmm. And learn to listen to it. And so so it requires a lot of experimenting. You know, how do I right. feel when I eat these certain foods? To really begin to notice, for example, I love coffee. I love lattes. They don't love me. Um, I get anxious. And, and so I thought, from the caffeine, so I thought, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to have decaf. And it's like, oh, I don't like the taste. So mm-hmm. I'm continuing on a hunt for a substitute. And yeah, I can drink other things. But so, so what I realize is, okay, so it's not that I'm not going to have my lattes, but I'm not going to have them that often because I don't like the way I feel afterwards. Um, and so I have to make a choice. And the thing is, I'm conscious of that, those sensations um, whenever I'm thinking about a latte. <laughs> and then I'll have to say, okay, do you want to sleep tonight? 
Um, you've got a couple hours. You're going to feel that kind of like edgy feeling. Do you want that? And sometimes the answer is, yeah, I don't care. And other times it's like, no. So the idea being that when you start to reclaim the wisdom of your body, that's what's going to get you where you want to go because your body will tell you. So, so I think one of the problems with that is it's, it's getting caught up in the red herring. And the red herring is a distracting element. It's like, okay, who killed the, the it's a murder mystery, right? You're following right. on. Who killed the old lady? Is it the maid, the butler, the chauffeur? And everyone's watching the maid because she's, you know, she's kind of weird. And at the end of the story, there's a <laughs> twist. And it was the butler who nobody suspected because everyone's watching the maid. The maid is the red herring. So mm. the focus on weight and, and, and food can be a red herring and distract you from what the real issues are. And mm-hmm. so, so um, as you learn to tune into, you know, your, your body and, and the physical sensations, you can start to see how different foods affect your body. But, but it's learning to respond to the whispers, not the shouts. And then as you listen to that, then you can start to find all these other hungers that are not being fed, that are also whispering and and getting played out through eating and food and the focus on weight. Well, here's something from your book that I think is just um, really quite poignant. And I love this. And um, I really love your book. Every time I pick it up, there's always something that just moves me. But this is, I think so many women will relate to this. When your inner feminine says, I'm lonely, the masculine insists that you have no reason to feel that way. And when you have a thought-provoking dream, your masculine, your masculine laughs as it or dismisses it as only a dream. And when you are upset with a friend's behavior, you tell yourself that you are just too sensitive. And when you feel hungry, you criticize yourself for eating too much. But this is the part that I actually love that I think is a response to that. The feminine says, I am lonely. The masculine side sits down and writes a letter to a friend. The feminine produces a dream. The masculine translates and, and organizes it. And the feminine feels upset when a friend does something that hurts her feelings. And the masculine puts those feelings into words and explains why that behavior was helpful or hurtful, excuse me. And the feminine says, I am hungry. And the masculine responds by getting and preparing the food or by asking, is this physical or emotional hunger? And I am so, every time I read that, I am so moved by that because it's true. Because that's what happens when they're working together in concert. You see, it's it's like neither side is right or wrong or good or Mm -hmm. bad. These are both aspects of our psyche. Right, but we live in a culture that has... Mm, created the arena for us to for those two sides to be at war and they don't need to be they can they can um come in concert together and then work you you would be using them um the, the way you would be running a business for example and you wouldn't listen to only what accounting department had to say and not advertising or just advertising and not accounting and so you recognize that these are aspects of yourself that are valuable uh, even though they have totally completely different perspectives about everything when they work together it's magic it's freedom it's that's what health is health is wholeness Yes. 
very much so. And uh, please speak. Well, the, uh, the other thing is that, and this is where, where people don't realize if they can get mm -hmm. very curious, the very foods they struggle with mm -hmm. um, it, it can communicate to them what might be going on, what the other hungers might be. So, for example, if someone struggles with sweet foods, maybe they either mm -hmm. binge on sweet or they won't let themselves have sweet. Sweet foods usually have to do with either feeling like there's not enough sweetness in your life or yes. you're not sweet enough. Yes. And, and crunchy, salty foods are typically connected with unexpressed anger and frustration. And and spicy foods um, are often associated with a hunger for or a fear of excitement, stimulation, and change. And um, warm foods, soups and stews, are typically connected to a, a craving for emotional warmth, for example. And chocolate, <laughs> we know this from Valentine's Day, is, is connected to sex and romance. Now, these are just general categories. Right. But they help you get started with curiosity to see what this is all about. And so I, I do have, if anyone is interested in exploring this further, um, I have a, a little quiz someone could take uh, at lightofthemooncafe.com forward slash MR for Meg Ricicci. <laughs> um, and, and see, the idea is there's not definitive answers, but it gets you going and you will know, you will, you'll know when you recognize, Oh, that's true for me. That's what's really going on here. Um, I eat those, those chips, um, when I'm feeling frustrated about something that happened at work and I felt like I couldn't express my frustration or, you know, you'll start to see what that really is for you. And here's, here's the reason why this is so important in order for this disordered eating to continue, it has to remain out of conscious awareness. That's where its power lies. So once you bring it into the light, uh, and, mm -hmm. and you, it, it's like it pops it. Um, uh, and, and so you'll be eating those chips and you'll be going, what, wait, where, what am I frustrated with? Oh, I know. Okay. What would I, if, if, what would I say if I could put those feelings into words? And so the more you do that, then what happens is you basically put the disordered eating out of a job. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, but if you just focus simply on the literal food, or the mm -hmm. fat on your body, it's going to take you away from that level of awareness. Yes, and I, I tried to explain that to people. It, it, it's not about the food. It's about what's going on in their lives. And, and, and here's and, the paradox, because it's not about the food, and it is about the food, right? I mean, you do have right. to eat, right? Of course. Well, it's, 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 creating a, it's creating a healthy relationship with food. And with and, yourself. And yes, and I was just going to say that. I, I remember when, when I was starting recovery, I had a sister of mine say, well, now that you know that this is an issue, you'll never, you won't perch anymore. <laughs> I was like, n -n -n no, I, I brought something into my awareness. I said, this is, this is a healing process. I have to create a relationship with food, a different one. So yes, it is about food, but it isn't, but it's, it's feeling, you know, I was going to say, and maybe you can elaborate a little more. It's feeling, 
I feel part of it with women is, is that when they start to eat more in a healthy way, there's this discomfort at first because they're starting to feel this fullness within themselves that they have not, and it's healthy. Mm-hmm. And maybe they've felt they're not allowed to have that fullness or allowed to have fulfillment in many areas of their life. And I think what's so so frustrating, though, for, for people is that, they, and how many times I've heard this, well, I know better. I don't know why I did this. I know better. And, and it's like, well, if the path out of disordered eating um, was through the, the, the thought process, most people who struggle are really, really smart. They would have figured this out a long time ago. But it's mm-hmm. through the heart. You have to bring compassionate curiosity into the process. Otherwise, you're going to be a gerbil on a wheel. Because yes. you're not going to get anywhere without that compassion towards yourself. How can people start recognizing that there might be a red flag going on, that their relationship with food is, is changing? Maybe they're becoming obsessive or restrictive or... Well, again, I think... It, it, it really is a matter of tuning into your emotions. And maybe um, one way you can find out is see if you can make a change in some kind of eating behavior that's troublesome to you and mm-hmm. see what happens if you try and see what feelings come up, right? Yes. Because yes. if yes. you say, well, I don't have a problem with this, and then you can say, okay, why don't for a week you do the opposite <laughs> and see what comes that. up, Yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there are times when when I work with clients and I'll I'll see this resistance and it's a discomfort and um of and that's when they even realize that there's something going on in their eating that's restrictive. So giving women the permission and the space to work with that, to be open to the change is is really I, I find um is is important. And and I and what were you going to say? And then I'm going to ask you a question. After. Well, I was going to say at some level, we know when something is troublesome to us. Absolutely. I d- yes, I agree. I Otherwise, agree. we I wouldn't agree. be seeking help. Yes. Or, or complaining about it or whatever it is we do. Do you, do you find, well, I see it that sometimes people, they, they start this um, healthy path to eating, but it starts becoming extreme. Right. Um, so I, I think the, the key that's going to, um, someone is going to recognize when things are getting out of control is when their life becomes filled with shoulds. Anita, that was, that's a perfect point to, that you just made. That, that's exactly it. There are two, I love it. Yes. The shoulds. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the shoulds, because the shoulds are indicative that you're putting your focus on external values. Mm -hmm. And you might say, oh, yeah, but these are my rules. Oh, yeah. Were you born with them? Right. Right. Um, No, you, you, you may have absorbed them. But really, if you're listening to your body the way a a little baby listens to their body, Mm -hmm. you know, that's one thing. But when you've decided, you know, I need to I can only eat X number of calories and I should eat this and I shouldn't eat that. And it's based on what your body telling you or is there something else going on here? So the should and, and that goes the same for movement. 
Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, you know, there's all this thing about healthy movement and then everybody's injuring themselves and, and then getting freaked out because they can't move. And it's what happens is we're born to move our bodies in joy. When we're little, we don't splash in a mud puddle and count calories. We don't swing up high in the swing to see how tight yes. our thighs can get. No, we yeah. do it simply for the joy of it. And I'm yes. sorry, but our culture has gotten so insane with this. And frankly, yes. this has yes. been the patriarchy usurping our birthright to move our body simply for the joy of it. Not because you can accomplish Amen. X number mm -hmm. of reps or run so many miles. And yes. then once that happens, it becomes so full of shoulds it, it, that, that there's no joy left. Anita, this was a wonderful conversation. Um, and what I will do in my podcast description, I'm going to include your website and how people can reach you um, because you are just an incredible Incredible wealth of wisdom and information. You have changed so many people's lives. You've influenced me. You have. Um, you're just a, a sweet and kind healing soul. I'm. I'm so. I hope to get to meet you. I hope we maybe can create a workshop. Let's, we, we, let's. I, I would love to have you here in Charleston, and 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 do a workshop. And and Lindsay, my producer, is like, yes, yes, we have to make this happen. So is there, any, is there anything that you would like to say before we uh, conclude our conversation today or our podcast? Well, here's what I want to say, because I believe mm -hmm. this with every fiber of my being, is mm -hmm. that those who have struggled with eating issues and they've stayed the course, they're the people the world has been waiting for. And I really believe this. I've seen it. I've, you know, I've been in this field 35 years. Yes. I, I see what happens. And our world right now is in such need of um, emotionally sensitive, highly intuitive individuals. And typically those are the ones that end mm -hmm. up struggling with food. Because yes. what comes with that, once you learn how to work with it, mm -hmm. is a level of empathy and sensitivity and compassion that the world needs a lot of these days. And so yes. that's kind of uh, anyone who's struggling that's listening, I just would like to encourage them, stay the course. We need you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, my love. This has, uh, what a wonderful conversation. Many blessings to you. Thanks again for being on the Hormone Lifestyle Zone. My pleasure. Thank you. Anita, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom today with all of us. It was very moving and enlightening, and I think very healing for so many women. Thanks again for being on the show. So if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to work with me, you can reach out uh, to me at megrichichi at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Hormone Lifestyle Zone, and you can subscribe, rate, or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get this podcast. And until next time, may you all have an awesome day. Listen to that sweet voice inside of you. Honor all the possibilities that exist because there are never shoulds and shouldn'ts. There are just yeses. Be well. Rock on.